Now, Father, we find ourselves in places, Lord God, that pressures of life being so great that we oftentimes can't come to you when we should. Or our minds are so distracted that uh, we can't hold on to your word the way that you want us to. So we ask you that you would help us in this moment. Help us to hear, to do your word. Grab hold on to your word for dear life. Because we know that you've come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that the thief wants to snatch every word from us before we even hear it. Before it makes its way to us, he wants to knock it out of the way. So we open up our hearts and our minds. And Father, I pray uh, that you would impart your spirit upon every person, every uh, individual that hears this word, that they would not be distracted from being fed today. So we love to hear from you, love, and we, uh, Lord, and we come with full expectation, excited for what you're going to do in and through us today. Work a great work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last time you saw a connection between the abiding Word of God and the love that we should have for one another. Peter continues, and that was in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22-25. So today... Peter, he continues to build the case for believers to follow and obey the Lord through uh, some of the toughest situations we may experience in life. These believers that the Apostle Peter has addressed in the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, they were trying to reconcile their experience in life trying to follow the Lord as the pressures of the world continue to push in on them. They were being persecuted and, and ostracized. And some by the very communities that they grew up in. Imagine that. That all those people who say that they love you, that they end up being the very ones who, who, who come after you. The places that they were born and raised. So even in the midst of that, they were to hold on to God's Word while they sincerely loved one another. So while you're going through whatever you're going through, I just want to reiterate, don't forget to love. Don't forget to love one another. Don't forget to love the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So Peter says, if this is all true, 
that we are to love the Lord, uh, we are to love His abiding Word, uh, that we are to love one another. Uh, Peter says that if this is true, in verse 1, chapter 2, what? So, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Read that again. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. In other words, Peter is telling us to stop doing what you used to do and stop being what you used to do, to be. Stop doing what you used to do and stop being what you used to be. And he does that by telling us to rid ourselves of anything that has an ungodly characteristic. Here in verse 1, he says to put away or to get rid of. Uh, but he says to put away or to get rid of specific behaviors that continue to have a hold on your life. The way that you used to act. You used to act with malice and deceit. I oftentimes tell people that uh, one of the things that I used to have was a grudge. Boy, I could hold a grudge like with a kung fu grip. I could hold a grudge. I should say I used to. Say amen. All right, I got to clarify that. Right? I used to hold a grudge for years. Because for some people, that was the only thing that I had against them, and that was, that was the only thing that I could do, and that was to hold a grudge that I had. I, 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 was, I had a problem with you for years. But all that old behavior, uh, Peter says that you need to put it away. He says that you need to get rid of it. And by doing so, that you're going to experience a benefit from that action. Think about the sins that used to plague you. Or for that matter, for some of you, even though that you are a believer in Christ, you have sins that continue to plague you today. But think about that, how oftentimes we know how to help our children uh, when they come to us for help. We know exactly what to do. We know how to fix a problem at work. Or even know how to remedy an issue that we have with the structure of our home. Our home is peeling, the paint is peeling. So we know how to fix that. We know that it needs to be repainting, repainted. But how do we help ourselves? So when we put away or get rid of, as Peter says, that believe it or not, it helps us personally. But to put away or to get rid of, it means to simply stop doing it. To stop it. Stop the mess. If you have been doing things that you should not be doing, uh, the Word of God says it is now time to stop it. 
There really isn't a simpler way of saying this other than to say to stop the mess. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says it slightly different here. But nevertheless, he says the same thing. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, he says to put off the old self. All that meanness, all that ugliness, all that contempt that you have for God or for other people uh, that affects you negatively, the Word of God says there in Ephesians 4.22, He says to put off your old self, to get rid of all the ways and all the habits that you used to have. The question is, why haven't you? Why haven't you done away with you, with those things? It's funny, uh, the old self is kind of like that old boyfriend or that old girlfriend that you don't want nothing to do with. But every time you turn around, what? There they are. That old self is just like that. The Word of God says, put it off or, or put it away. But the Word doesn't just leave it there. It gives us a specific list. It's an encouragement to end that behavior. It says, so put away, what? All malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let's deal with each one of these individually, but very briefly. First, put away all malice. Malice is a word that is used to generally describe all types of evil. You could call this a drip pan, right? You put a, a, a pan underneath a car when you change the oil or change your transmission fluid or however you do it, right? And when you unplug it, everything that's in the oil pan, you know, hopefully the only thing that comes out is oil. But if you ever changed the oil before over a period of time, one thing that you know that you need to be on the lookout is metal shavings. Because sometimes when you have metal pieces rubbing up against each other, uh, you, you can tell when those metal shavings come out with the oil into the oil pan. Or you may have other dirt or impurity that comes out, of, uh, that, that comes out with the oil, right? Uh, so uh, malice is like the oil pan that it deals directly with all manner of evil. So when it says malice, it's thinking in general terms. Scripture goes on to say, to put away all deceit. Put away all deceit. As a kid... My father would occasionally take the entire family fishing, even though I did not enjoy fishing very much. I just, I didn't like fishing. As a matter of fact, when we go fishing, I think I may have shared this with you before, that one of the things I would do, I'd put my fishing pole in the water, 
probably for about 10 minutes, and then I would get a rock and I'd put it together, and then I'd go off exploring somewhere in the countryside somewhere. That's what I would do. And then whatever would happen when I come back, I'd be like, oh, well, I didn't mind. I, I didn't enjoy fishing that much. Because I liked to be in the city where things were going on, so I thought. See, in the country, my problem was that life was slow. In the country, it was like waiting on the hour hand to move as you watch the clock. So it would drive me up a wall as a kid. Imagine that, being nine and ten years old and, and too impatient to fish. But one of the things I did enjoy about fishing, and that was putting the worm on the hook. I love putting the worm on the hook. You know, sometimes you would, uh, I, I would do experiments with the worm. I, I was a little boy, so ladies don't say, oh man, that's really something else. You know, sometimes I would take the worm, and I would take the whole body and just slip it on, on the hook, and then look at, look at the worm and see what happens with the worm. Then other times I would take it like, uh, like the letter S, right, and I'd hook it up that way and see what happened. Look, look at the worm and see if he was squirmed. And other times I would take the worm and just put the head of it just on the little bar part and then, and then watch it and just see what would happen. So I enjoy uh, dealing with uh, the hook and the worm. But I knew that by placing the, the, the worm on the hook, I was trying to get the fish to think it was just another bug floating freely in the water. Uh, and trying to entice it to eat, knowing that if it did eat, it would get caught. I was playing a fast and loose game with the fish, trying to influence its responses by toying with the truth. So when Scripture says to put away all deceit, what is deceit? It is getting someone to think in a way different from truth by any means possible. So, when you are deceitful, you are lying. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. The fisher uses an insect covering a hook to get the fish to believe it's only an insect floating in water, but it's really there to snag it. A deceitful person may make things happen in an underhanded way or in an under-the-table type of deal. And boy, have I been the brunt of those in my life. I've been the brunt of people who say they are your friends, but in the end, they have some little scheme going on. Those folks who are smiling in your face, always trying to take your place. Those deceitful people. And it's not just talking about love, right? I'm talking about everyday life. Folks wanting your title, wanting your job, uh, wanting your house, uh, wanting to be where you are. Uh, this is where folks are sometimes. These are the back-of-the-room deals that in the end you can't, you can't figure out how did they come out with the, the conclusions that they had, like in the political arenas, negotiations or salary adjustments. You just can't figure out what's going on. 
deceitful person tells a lie thinking that they will get away with it. In fact, I know some people who are so good in telling lies that they can even uh, purposefully uh, fool a lie detector. I know people that can fool a lie detector. And they say that they can, and they actually do it. But it is very possible what, what, what Peter had in mind with the word uh, deceit is not only through the course of everyday life, uh, but also, most, most pointedly, with the Word of God as well. We are to never use God's Word to manipulate others in getting things we want like money, possessions, or, or titles. I happened to come across a... Um, video this past week of an individual within the Christian faith, he was a, a Christian leader, that he was doing some things that were simply not right. And ultimately he was lying, he was being deceitful about what he was doing. And you know, I, I need to say this too. I, I, I have to say it again. Anyone who has consistently promised you that if you live the victorious life, nothing bad will ever happen to you. You better watch out. I, I just want to tell you, anyone who tells you because you are a Christian or if you are living by faith uh, that, uh, that you are going to be okay, and then when something bad happens to you, they'll tell you it's because of your faith. There's this preacher that I'm familiar with, and some of, some of you may know, that one of the things that he had, he, he had a faith ministry, or has a faith ministry currently. And one of the things they used to say, I, I listened to him years ago, I think even before I was even married, and one of the things that he said was that if you have faith enough, you'll never get sick. That's what he said. And I followed him from years, for years, and then one year, I remember, it must have been like 15 years down the line, his wife got sick. Not only did she get sick, she got cancer. And he said the reason that she got sick and the reason that she got cancer was because she was not following the principles of God. Therefore, she got sick, but we hope she'll be healed. So she's still around here today. I praise the Lord. And now I'm just hearing that he has cancer. It's like, well, well wait a minute. If you tell me that the Word of God and through the implementation of the Word of God and by faith that I will never ever be sick and you have sold uh, audios and, and made millions and millions of dollars on it and you and it's not working for you then something wrong is wrong either the truth that you are peddling is wrong or you are a lie and the Word of God is correct so you see, it can't be both, right? So in deceit, we must be careful that we do not conflate, mix up God's word from the truth that it actually is. Amen? All right, one more time. Amen? Amen. We got to get it right because we will end up in a wrong place. So we should not manipulate others with the Word of God. 
Because that is fraudulent. That is spiritual fraudulence. That is a fraud. I'll say it again. Did I make myself clear that that is a fraud? If it doesn't work for the person who lives in a hut in Africa, then that is not the true Word of God. If it uh, does not work the same for the individual who's dirt poor in, in, in Russia, then that is not the Word of God. How are you going to tell someone who lives in Africa that they're going to have a, a Cadillac? when they don't even have paved roads where they live. Are you saying it's because of their faith? Jesus didn't have a Cadillac. Well, we know they weren't invented then. But the bottom line is that uh, wealth is not an indicator of your faith. The stuff that you have does not demonstrate how much you love the Lord. Because I knew, I knew many people who have gone on to be with the Lord now who love the, the, the Lord passionately. Some who left this planet not with a dime in their pocket, but one thing that they knew and one thing that they had was a deep relationship with God. Sometimes uh, those are some of the things that you want. Uh, someone who has that passion that you know that they love the Lord, and they would probably tell you, I don't want any of that stuff. As the song says, you can have this old world just give me what? Jesus. But also, uh, a person who's deceitful, they try to make themselves look better than they are in order to obtain uh, an elevated position or title. Right? Uh, an example of that would be Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Acts 5, 1 through 5. And uh, many of you know this story, but I'm going to read it nevertheless. So he saw the results of this firsthand with the early church. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3. Uh, but Peter said, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Right? I just noticed that in passing uh, between verses 3 and uh, verse 4, uh, first time it says you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Second time it says you've lied to God. So in other words, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. When you lie to God, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they are the same. Verse 5. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now, if you don't know what that means, what do you mean? What do you mean he fell down and breathed his last? That means when he heard these words, he fell down and died. He dropped dead, in other words. He dropped dead because he lied. All right? Think about that for a second. Somebody dropped dead because they lied to God. Uh, let's think about that for a second. 
Uh, somebody actually dropped dead because they lied to God. They were being deceptive and they fell dead. When the last time you told a lie? If you've lied, and especially if you've lied to God, and if you have not repented, know this, that it is by the grace of God and His mercy that you go. So I want to encourage you that if you've lied to the Lord, to repent before Him today. Because you don't want, you don't want to wait for the Holy Spirit to bring correction. Let's go on. Next, Peter tells us to get rid of hypocrisy. This is a simpler one. And that we are not to pretend like we are something when we know we're not. It's kind of like hypocrisy and deceit. It's almost like different sides of the same coin. Almost. Hypocrisy is saying one thing while doing another. Pretending to have qualities or beliefs that you have when you really don't have it. In Galatians 2.11, uh, Peter was like that at one time, and I believe this is why he brought this out. Uh, even though this is Paul talking about Peter, and many of you know that story as well. Uh, and that was a story where uh, Peter uh, thought he was all that, and, every, and he said that the gospel was inclusive, but yet when he got around his homeboys, the Jews, all of a sudden he wanted to be separate. He didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. So in some way, he misrepresented the truth about what he believed. You know, people watch what we do, don't they? They watch what we do. They watch what we say. They watch how we act. But remember, grace was made available for Peter. And he lived to talk about it another day. Can you say amen? So if you are here today and you know that you've been doing some things that have not been right before the Lord, repent before the Lord, confess your sin before the Lord, because He has given you an opportunity for that. Amen? As believers, we are to do away with envy. This is a sense of being jealous of someone. Right? In some cases, you even desire what the other person has and would be willing to uh, do anything to get what they have. Envy can be a very dangerous emotion because it can dredge of malice and deceit and hypocrisy. And the next characteristic, which what we should rid ourselves of, which is slander. Stop all slander. Slander is that abusive talk meant to damage another person's reputation. Now, how many people have been there before where someone has have, have talked about you on purpose because they want everyone to think badly of you? Eventually, you live the life that I live. Eventually, you just keep on walking. Amen? Because the more you live, uh, it is likelihood, and the more people that you're around, the more folks are going to talk about you. Amen? They're going to say things about you that are not true. But the slanderer oftentimes wants uh, someone's, again, someone's position or their achievements and can't figure out any other way of getting it or getting back at you other than to talk badly about you. But as you have probably figured it out, all these issues that I mentioned here 
That there are problems that happen in the church and out of the church. So if, if you have come to the church and expected that no one will ever slander you, then I would say you are wrong to think that. It would be nice to think that, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't that be wonderful if no one ever talked about you in church? But I've been around church life inside and outside church life long enough to know that that is not reality. Why? Why? Think about your struggle. Think about the one problem. We'll say you only have one problem, amen? You know, some of us have multiple problems, right? But think about that one problem that you have, just the one, and how you struggle with it. That there is another individual, even here in our church, that may have some type of struggle as well. That they're trying to get a breakthrough from their issue just like you are. So you're going to get people who are going to slander you. But our response to them is that they need to know Jesus Christ. Amen? And then when you have a problem with someone in the church, then we walk through Matthew 18. Amen! Matthew 18, about how to deal with that. So many fights and wars and arguments are often caused by malicious talk that we sometimes experience. Oh, they talked about me, and they said something about me, and so therefore I want nothing to do with nobody. Right? People lose their jobs by saying things that are not true, don't they? You lie on your job, and you lose your job. As a matter of fact, it just happened in uh, one of the uh, administration's uh, position recently. This past week. They lie, they lose jobs. So as we think about slander, we must also be careful about gossip in which we repeat things in which we know we don't have all the facts and, and in fact it may not even be true. Don't gossip. So all these items in this list are destructive to the body of Christ, right? And to your emotional and spiritual well-being if you are not careful, if we are not careful. While it is true that we bring the world into the church hoping that the world will be transformed by the Spirit of God and the church, know that we don't have to submit to worldly ways. We don't have to slander. We don't have to be malicious. We don't have to be deceitful, right? We don't have to be all those things, hypocrites. We don't have to envy one another. The Holy Spirit gives you power, gives me power to rid ourselves of it once and for all if we choose to appropriate His power. So you can do it. We can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? We do it by desiring the spiritually pure aspects of our faith. Desire the spiritually pure aspects of our faith. Here we go, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
So our spirituality is or should be opposite of those things that we are to get rid of. So we should not be hypocrites, right? Uh, we, we should not have malice. We should not be deceitful, right? We should not be envious and we should not slander. We should not do or be any of those things, but instead we should be spiritually pure in our faith. In the innocence as God's children in Christ Jesus, we are to desire not the sensational or the perverse, but the spiritually pure. It's very interesting that the word pure is similar to the word used in verse 1 for deceit. I need for you to look at this for a second. Look at verse 1. So you see the word deceit in verse 1. And then in verse 2, you see the word pure. Uh, that, that these are almost the same words. Uh, initially, both words are spelled the same way, except in verse 2, uh, it has a negating alpha at the beginning of that same word. So the word for deceit in verse 1 is dolon. And the word for pure in verse 2 is adolon. Adolon. So really, they're similar words, uh, but, but what, what Peter is saying that, that our faith, our spirituality, that it needs to be pure and without deceit and deception. In desiring the spiritually pure life, we mature according to our salvation. Now, uh, being good does not make us saved. It is Jesus Christ who makes us saved. Amen? Okay, let's say it one more time because we have to get this. Being good does not save you or I. Being good does not keep us saved. Amen? One more time. Being good does not make you saved. Being good does not keep you saved. Being good is a reflection that you are saved. Amen? Being good is an indicator that Christ has came and redeemed your life. So if Christ has saved you, then you will act like you are saved. If Christ has saved you, you say, and you act with uh, envy, jealousy, maliciousness, and slander, and hatred, and not loving one another, then we can say you may not be saved because you're not acting the way that Christ has commanded us to act. Now, we're not going to be there perfectly, initially, because it is our sanctification as we know that it is a process, that it happens over time. Kind of like the drip, drip, drip. Uh, one of the things that we, we have, uh, one of those filters with, uh, one of those pictures with a filter in it. One of the things I like to do is instead of standing there waiting for, you know, uh, to fill it up, and then you stand there and you wait for it to fill the bottom up and then fill the top up, what I like to do is I like to put the pitcher underneath the faucet and then I put it on drip. I let it drip, one drip at a time. And I go on about my business. 
But eventually, over time, that entire gallon is filled with water one drip at a time, right? Then it becomes full. So what happens with us in our sanctification uh, that God, He points one issue out about us. We don't like it. We don't always like what God is doing and what He says about us. Do we? I don't like what He says about me all the time. I don't know about you. I don't like that sometimes God is in my face with His Word. I just don't like it. But if we embrace it, then we begin to grow just a little bit at a time. Right? And then when you think you finally got that thing under control, you know, here's the next thing. Right? But what's happening is we're being filled with the Holy Spirit that we're growing. We are saved, but we're growing into that in which God has made us to be. That is, a mature believer in Christ. But also know that you can't mature if you're not involved in anything that doesn't test your faith. You can't mature if you don't go through anything. How do you know if God is real if you never go through anything? How do you know that God is your deliverer if He's never had to deliver you from anything? You see? So we mature in our faith we don't, again, we don't like it, but it is one of those things. And we mature by studying God's Word, and also we mature by being in fellowship. You see, it's one thing that, on the one hand, that we go through stuff in life. On the other hand, it's, it makes sense that we have to study God's Word. Uh, but the one thing that we know as uh, mature believers in the faith is that the one thing that tests our faith more so than anything else is somebody else. The one thing that tests our faith above anything else is somebody else. This is why God doesn't want us running into the mountains after we get saved and being by ourselves. Sure, you can be the most godliest person because ain't nobody around to irritate you. How many people know that folks can irritate you to the umpteenth degree? Sometimes folks can almost, I'll say almost, make you say things you have no business saying. Almost. Right? There, they test you. They test your resolve to ask you the question, do you really know Jesus Christ? Will you really depend upon Him? Or will you go off every time somebody says something or slanders you? So our maturity is not one or the other, it's everything. So have you experienced the goodness of the Lord? Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'll be quick here. This verse begins with the word if. Even though it continues with the thought from the previous two verses, right? Uh, typically, when we have a, uh, an if-then construction, uh, typically if always goes first, and then the then comes Afterward, but look at verses one through three. Look at this, and we just need to read it just for your know, context and clarity, understanding. Verse one: So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Right. 
So think of it this way. Start in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, then put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So on the one hand, verse 1 is connected to chapter 1. On the other hand, you can take verse 3 and either switch uh, verse 3 with verse 2 or switch verse 3 with verse, uh, take verse 3 and make that verse 1. In any case, it, it becomes all the same. So if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, then put away what? All malice and all what? Deceit and what? Hypocrisy and envy and all what? All slander. So if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you put it away. How many of you have tasted that the Lord is good in here? It's like saying, if you wash and wax my car, then I will give you two dollars. Sad he's not here today. I was going to tell a story about him, but I'm going to tell about him anyway. My brother William, that when he used to have, uh, a couple of cars he used to have, he used to have a, uh, a, grand, a grand Prix. I was a little kid. Again, a lot happened to me in nine, this nine, ten years. I always tell stories about when I was nine and ten years old, right? Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, that, that little pocket of time, right, uh, that he would ask me if I wanted to wash his car for money. I said, yeah. And I, I wouldn't even, he's my brother, I wouldn't even ask him how much. Because I knew he was going to treat me right. So he said, if you wash and what Now, you got to remember that back in those days, it was not spray on wax and wipe off. Amen? It wasn't like spray the little wax out the bottle, right, and then rinse it off with a water hose and your whole car is waxed up real good. It wasn't like that. It was that old turtle wax. You guys remember that stuff? That paste, right? The paste on a still body. You take the paste off and you put it on the car. And then what you, if you were smart, what you would do is you would wait and let the, let the paste, let the wax seek in. And then you would go and you would, with all your effort, you know, take the wax off the car. Then that car would be shining like new money. First time I did it, I didn't know, uh, Brother Parker, I didn't know that when you put paste on a car that you're not supposed to do it in the sun. Oh man, that was, that was brutal. If you've ever done that, you, you'll never get that. You'll never get it off. But eventually I learned. So anyway, I spent about six hours working on my brother William's car. And when I was done, he gave me two dollars. I mean, I didn't have any money. So I was happy. And then my mother asked him, David, who did, who, who did your brother's car? I said, I did. I did a good job. He said, yeah, I'm going to have you do my car. And then I was walking away from him. He said, how much, how much did he pay you? I said, $2. I, was, I, I didn't care. I had $2. At that time, for $2, I could have got like six bags of candy. Right? When she heard that, she had a conniption fit. She starts screaming for my brother, where are you? Where are you? Come down here.
here, you're going to pay your brother some more money for doing that because he knows that at that time it probably cost you about $35, $40 to have that done. Right? And uh, so uh, the bottom line, I got the money, right? If you wash and wax my car, I then I will give you the money. So if you, in some sense, have tasted that the Lord is good, then in that case you're going to put away all these things. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? What does it mean to taste that the Lord is good? Well, what it means is to experience the goodness of the Lord. Right? Not taste as one would taste, you know, uh, uh, some foods, a salad, or a piece of barbecue, or whatever you like to eat. And not that kind of taste with uh, the palate or, or your tongue, but to experience the goodness of the Lord. And Peter was one of those people who had experienced the goodness of the Lord. I want you to look at uh, Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. The psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman or child who takes refuge in him. Uh, the psalmist says, experience the Lord and recognize his goodness. So how do you do that? Right? So Peter tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good in order uh, that we may put away, uh, get rid of, stop doing these things that we should have been doing. Uh, and I believe he grabbed uh, a page out of, the, uh, out of the psalmist here, Psalm 34. Uh, but what does it mean to taste or to experience the goodness of the Lord? Well, one of the ways that we experience the goodness of the Lord is through answered prayers. If God has answered your prayer, then you have experienced or you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay? Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. All fears. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And so the first question we need to ask your, your, yourself is, has the Lord ever delivered you from any of your fears? Has He granted you courage to do things that ordinarily you would not do? Has He lifted you up out of the muck and the mire the trappings of this world when you thought that was a safe place. If this has been true for you, then you know that the Lord is good. Our society is so messed up that, uh, that one of the things that, if you're familiar with our, our news cycles, it always, it always brings about fear. It tries to get you and I to be afraid of things. 
As a matter of fact, it wants you to be so afraid that you're even afraid to go to the grocery store. But I want you to seek the Lord and know that He's going to answer you and know that He will deliver you from all your fears. What are you afraid of? I know that some of you, uh, some of our young people who are heading out to college, some of you have fears there. because You don't know what to expect, really. You hear stories, but now it's your turn. Are you going to be successful? Will you get all the money that you need? Will you graduate? Will you graduate on time? Will you make enough friends? Will you be in the right, will, will you be in the right major, right? Will you live in the right place? Fear of being away from your family. You see young people, especially those on their way to college right now, for all of your life, you have lived under their roof. And now you're about to move out, and now your faith is about to be tested. See, it's okay when you got mom and dad and everybody else covering for you. But when it's all on you, it's now a different story. Feels good that when something goes wrong, you call mom and dad and they just come to the rescue. Feels good. <laughs> but now it's on you. And I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you guys. I'm going to ask you. Where is your faith? Will you have faith then? Or will you fall into the sinkhole that you didn't even know was there. Yesterday, my wife and I and the grandkids, we went to, uh, uh, we were at the Indiana Dunes for a quick second. And I didn't go up. I was, I was really tired. I was really exhausted. So they went up there, and they went up on Mount Baldy. And, uh, and when they came back, when I woke up, I realized, I said, wait a minute. Isn't Mount Baldy the place where the, that kid got sucked into the sinkhole? And then... Uh, the oldest grandson, he says, yeah, yeah, because I looked it up. Right, and here's a picture of it right here. Right, this uh, internet, right, and these smartphones. It's really something else. So you can mind your business. You say, and, and, and just, you're just walking along, doing what you have to do. But then the sinkholes of life, they open up underneath you. And they suck you in. You didn't plan for it. So where is your faith? The heart of this series is living godly when the pressure is on. When the pressure is on, the pressure has come upon you, do you do things outside of the norm of your faith or do you act like you know Jesus? The psalmist demonstrated his desire to follow the Lord, his desire to stay on track, but he knew he could not go it alone. He needed help. He needed supernatural help that could only come from God. And after prayer, the Lord heard him. The Lord delivered him. He said, he delivered me from my distress. The psalmist goes on to say, 34 verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 
The Lord will deliver you. The Lord will redeem you. He will deliver me. He will deliver us. He will deliver us. He will redeem us in Christ Jesus. But then even deeper than that, verses 17 and 18 in Psalm 34, and when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. Uh, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crush, the crush, the crush in spirit. When you've had enough, or when you're going down deep and you know nowhere else to turn, it says the Lord will deliver you. He will deliver us when we're just crushed. But we must trust in Him with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding, but in all of our ways do what? Acknowledge Him. And He shall do what? Direct our paths or make our paths straight. This sounds like a good God who does good things for His people. So the question for us today is, do we know that the Lord is good? Our answer can start at the same place as the psalmist. Has the Lord ever answered your prayers? Has He delivered you from certain death or destruction? Well, not only has God delivered me from uh, answering my prayers, but God has deliberately, literally, He has delivered me from death. I don't want, I don't want anyone to go through that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But has the Lord soothed and mended your heart when you were brokenhearted or crushed? In all of this, if it's true, for the sake of argument, we will say that it is true that God has been good to you. Because you have tasted and experienced the goodness of the Lord in ways that you and I cannot deny. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Jesus says, there is no one good but God. God is good, and all the time, God is good, come on, and all the time, God is good, come on, and all the time, if God is good, if he, if he has been good to you, then you act like it and you celebrate and you walk in the confidence and put away all those things. Put away malice. Put away deceit. Put away hypocrisy. Get rid of slander in your life. If God has been good to you. Get rid of these ungodly behaviors and demonstrate God's presence on the inside and the out. Let's pray.